Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about the states that are reopening. We're going to hear from a couple of friends of the show. Also, we have some good news. This is The Common Good. Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with the right Reverend Brian Fromm. We are so glad that you've decided to join us today or whenever you're joining us. I guess it's still today as you're listening whenever to day. That's true whenever <laughs> I'm saying it, I guess. Unless that you are a time deep. traveler. If so, uh, please call us. Anyway, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That's where we post all of our articles, and you can send us a message if you have suggestions or ideas. Plus, we're on Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk, 1160hope.com slash the Common Good. Plus, brand new. Brian, do you know that we have a podcast? I've heard. I've, I've been made yeah. aware. You've been you've been made aware. Have you listened to the podcast, Brian? Is that why I have? I'm I am subscribed to our podcast. I'll even rate and review it if that would help. Is that something that anyone can do? They can subscribe, rate, and review. Anybody? I mean, wow. anybody can do that. Does that help us out in any way, shape, or form? Yes, we're not sure how, but it does help us out. <laughs> well, that is good news all around. <laughs> if you wouldn't mind, please go ahead and do that, and uh, maybe share it with a friend. I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but there's a, a bit of a pandemic that we're in the middle of. Yes. And uh, it's really kind of occupied probably 98.7% of my news feed and yeah. most media that I see, whether intentionally or otherwise. And the thing that has been kind of on everyone's lips today, at least, has been the states that are reopening. What, what do you uh, think about what's going on there so far? So... It is a movement right now that, quite frankly, surprises me. Uh, sometimes really? it does, and other times it doesn't. I do have to warn you, uh, I know you've been running from calls to calls, but uh, tonight I'm sure you're going to see clips of Anderson Cooper's uh, interview he just finished with the uh, mayor of Las Vegas, and uh, you will leave it thinking we're all going to die. <laughs> because Really? Why is, why is that? Because she wants to open up all the casinos, everything, and uh, Anderson Cooper, for whatever you think of him, asked her, asked her some really logical questions. And she said, you're just being an alarmist and said uh, the casinos can worry about the health and other things that made you really like that's unbelievable. Really? Uh, so that was today. But, yeah, also, uh, you know, you posted all sorts of articles that, that were really helpful to read. Uh, and, and I do think that it's. Uh, it's grayer than it seems at first blush, not the Las Vegas one. That one was just crazy. Um, but but we talked about it a little bit yesterday that there are some some governors uh, and mayors who are saying, listen, it's not that bad right here. We don't think it's going to be bad here. So we don't want to kill our economy. We want to try to be smart about walking into this and. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, it makes for an interesting debate, right? Like, so you've got states like Georgia, South Carolina, um, Texas, other places that are starting to open up. But also, the backdrop of this is all of these protests to open up. And uh, if you had told me a week ago the movement that would be going in this direction, I don't think I would have believed you. It's kind of uh, it's both interesting and at times scary to watch. So there's a couple of headlines. I don't think we have enough time to really get into all of them, but some of them that are most notable, uh, Jesus is my vaccine protest <laughs> message declares as Pennsylvania residents demand reopening of economy. Yeah. Bad um, theology. Also, we'll, we'll say that yeah. in the beginning. 
Right. Sure. Not great. Uh, Georgia governor's decision to start reopening state draws mixed reactions from business owners, which I think is super interesting. There's another one. I wish we had more time. Maybe we can talk about it later in the week. Um, it's a pretty lengthy one over at the public discourse.com. Lockdowns don't work. Yeah. And I found a lot of that information actually kind of surprising. There's a, there's a bunch that are kind of trying to explain what's really behind some of the protests. And then the one that I feel like everyone is talking about today is uh, Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick praises economic restart and says there are more important things than living. <laughs> and someone on our Facebook page commented thinking or he said, I really I really thought for sure that quote was taken out of context. And then I read the full article and turned out that it is not. And uh, yeah. I don't know if any of those five really stand out to you that you want to talk about in the remaining minutes that we have. But uh, I'd, I'd love to know if there's one there that kind of stands out to you. So the amazing one was the Dan Patrick one, because like yeah. our Facebook commenter said, uh, I was like, well, clearly he's out of context here. And then I saw the clip from Tucker Carlson's show on Fox News, and it's a direct quote. Yeah. Uh, it is just uh, now in the little bit of fairness I will give him is he's 70 years old and he was saying uh, he was lumping himself into the. We have to watch out for our kids and our grandkids. So at least he wasn't just saying, I hope other people die. Right. Uh, but yeah, what a crazy message that you never thought you'd hear uh, literally just out of a out of a lieutenant governor's mouth going, you know what? There's more important things than living. I want to be like, I have a feeling you probably ran on a pro-life platform um, as a as a Republican in Texas. Like that doesn't feel like a very pro-life statement to be making. (laughs) Um, And so there's that. The most interesting article that I would point people to of the ones you've listed, though, is that public discourse ones about lockdowns. Uh, I saw this kind of getting shared. Marcus Brown, our program director, was talking about it last night on his Facebook page and some other people. Uh, It's a very long and challenging read in the sense of it calls into question. It doesn't say we shouldn't be lockdowning, if that's a word. Uh, What it says is is lockdowns are not the, in this person's uh, research, the best way to stop a virus. And so it goes into what are the things we're currently doing that are the best? What are the things that might not work? And it will challenge you because we're all like, well, if I'm being a good citizen, if I care about people, then full lockdown is you've got to support that. And this person's going, well, let me actually kind of pull back some of the facts. It's very data driven. Uh, So I would encourage people to read it. That's the most interesting of them. The other articles are pretty head scratching and, and quite frankly, a little scary. <laughs> so what would you say? And I, I know you touched on it briefly and we've talked about it in various different ways on the show. But the uh, the one from Christian Post, Jesus is my vaccine. Uh, where do you land theologically with that with that general posture? I mean, if by Jesus is my vaccine, they mean that Jesus is going to protect me from this virus. Uh, I think that that is uh, they are sadly mistaken. Like I, I think both Christians and non-Christians have been getting COVID-19. It's the same as the person going in uh, to that church that was interviewed saying I'm covered by the blood of, of Jesus. So as if like that meant they couldn't get other people sick. Um, right. And theologically, you and I have been very much hanging on the, this is an issue of loving our neighbors. Uh, and so uh, I don't even know, quite frankly, what do you even think they meant by Jesus is my vaccine? Was that just <laughs> was that a 
I believe in Jesus. I'm not going to get COVID-19 because the, the, the stats don't seem to bear that out right now. Yeah, I wonder, I you know, I'm trying to be fair here, and I wonder if they would see any correlation to a Christian asking for safe travel somewhere. Like, oh, Lord, protect us on this flight. Like, well, Christians and non-Christians die in plane crashes, so why would you pray for protection? I don't know. I have no idea because I don't <laughs> – that's not necessarily – how I approach this conversation, but I, I'm, I have been trying really hard to put myself mm, theologically and psychologically in their shoes. Like, what do you, what do they mean by that? And it's probably not dissimilar from, you know, the pastors that would, uh, would have poisonous snakes with them in the middle of services. It's probably a similar type of, uh, sentiment or doctrinal alignment that would lead you to say, like, I, Hey, I don't have anything to fear. In fact, not only do I not have to fear it, I'm going to I'm going to head head along into it because right. God is my protection. And uh, I just wanted to at least hopefully it's obvious if you've listened to the show, neither Brian and I affirm that particular theological approach that just yes. I don't think it's rooted in scripture. I don't think it's a helpful posture to not only live your life, but to be loving neighbor. And I think that that's something that we need to always really, really be mindful of. That's right. Okay. Can it be we'll a follow up to uh, Carrie Underwood's "Jesus Take the Wheel"? Could that be a? Could that be the follow up here? I'm sure that's what it is, Brian. <laughs> Coming up next, a friend of mine from back home who actually fits the immunocompromised category shared with us some of her thoughts as she navigates this pandemic. That's coming up next here on the Common Good on AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. It is Earth Day. We're going to talk about that sort of a little bit later in the show. But uh, if you'd like to find us on Facebook, you can. The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, wherever it is you get your podcasts. And literally any kind of interaction there helps us out a whole lot. Plus, you can do that on the Facebook page. You can review. You can share it with a friend. You can send us a message. And we're on Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk. One of the things that we've been doing the last four or five weeks or so is to invite other people into the conversation. Brian and I feel incredibly fortunate and blessed to have this platform, but we also know that we're just two of many perspectives. So we've been inviting friends to either, you know, zoom in with us or to just record some audio themselves about maybe how they're navigating or how this has affected their faith or a word of encouragement to somebody else. And Georgia Coates is a friend of mine from way, way, way back, all the way back in Detroit, my Fairland Alliance days there in Dearborn, Michigan. And uh, she shares some really interesting perspectives as someone who fits the immunocompromised category. And so we wanted to share with you her thoughts. It's about five minutes long. And then Brian and I will react with whatever time is left. As it turns out, I am officially in the immunocompromised category. Because of my chronic leukemia diagnosis and the immunotherapy treatment I take for it. So I feel very privileged, though, to receive random check-in calls from people who just care, who want to check in and make sure I'm doing okay during this pandemic that has taken over the globe. They just want to make sure that I'm taking extra care of myself. It's very sweet. So the other day, I got a call from Dr. K, my former hematologist of 15 years, from Michigan, and I live in Colorado now. When Dr. K called, I felt emotionally broadsided by this unexpected check-in. I'm sure he has a million things to think about at the main hospital hit hard with COVID-19 in the heart of Detroit. But he paused to think about me and to make sure that I was doing okay. 
Well, that call confirmed my self-diagnosis. I know, self-diagnosis is a dangerous thing. But I am officially, according to myself, emotionally compromised. Yep, my emotions are just below the surface and ready to well up at any moment. Anyone else feel emotionally compromised? Okay, and then there's my brain. My thoughts tumble around in my head like wet laundry. The significant intertwined with the curious and bombarded with the mundane and distracted, chaotic and scattered. I'm the opposite of focused. I'm lacking goals and trajectory is super vague. There's so many thoughts circling around in each present moment. Yep, I'm definitely mentally compromised as well. So during this sheltering in time, our little family of five has been watching a lot of movies. And one of our faves is Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. I love the part when the characters discover that they each have specific strengths and weaknesses within the Jumanji game. They're designed with this list. And Kevin Hart's character discovers that the strength is actually on his list of weaknesses. Strength is one of his weaknesses. So he asked the question, what? How is strength my weakness? Well, I like to play with that and flip it around a little. What if weakness is actually a strength? What if tears are my superpower and grief is a place I've grown comfortable with? What if chronic hope comes from living with chronic illness? What if immunocompromised means that I'm also immunoalert? What if mentally scattered means centered in the present? What if my limitations are the exact ingredients of sensitive, present, and vulnerable that I need right now in the middle of a pandemic? So if you or I were to pause and connect with our designer over our list of strengths and weaknesses, how would that go? I imagine it to be similar to the Apostle Paul's process in 2 Corinthians 12, where he is broadsided by grace. Grace that came through a conduit of weakness. Paul pleads and discusses with the divine to take away his weaknesses. And his designer declares, my grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. And so the apostle Paul relinquishes himself to be broadsided by this grace. He says, once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. Now I take limitations in stride. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. Weakness was Paul's necessary ingredient to let grace usher in. To hear the voice of my designer. Not to tell me that I'm healed or that I'm strong, but to hear that at the heart of humanity is weakness and that on our list of strengths, weakness is at the top. The weaker we get, the stronger we become. In our current compromised spaces during COVID-19, let's sit in the presence of this paradox. Let's let grace usher in in new ways. I'm okay to lavishly love on another grieving soul with my unstoppable superpower tears. I'm awkwardly eager to hold up my best supergirl akimbo pose with my favorite napping blanket flapping cape-like behind me in the wind. Let's be so strong in our weaknesses 
Let's learn to be okay with our compromised states. In any one given moment, that is. Baby steps. Let's pause in the presence of the divine and be okay to let him show us our compromised spaces. So that we can let grace usher in. Okay, so Brian, I know that you don't know her at all, but uh, what stood out to you about what she said? So first, um, you know, you read a lot in the newspapers or see on the news uh, just people who are immunocompromised. But to hear someone who actually is talk about it is, uh, you know, it made me, first of all, think about like that'd be a scary position to be in. Like and I know some of our listeners out there fall in that. And I uh, I think it it is uh, it reminds me that there are people for whom this disease is. is it's a big deal for all of us, but it's more of a big deal if they were to get it. And so that was the first thing. Uh, then that question about weakness as strength, I just think is so powerful because we all know the passage, but but it's so backwards that the we weaker I get, the stronger I become. Uh, just that whole concept, I think, um, and even weakness being a necessary ingredient ingredient to let grace usher in. Uh, it's such a, a a New Testament concept to run to your weakness, but but that's so hard to even think about what does that actually look like. And so I really appreciated her going in that direction of Second Corinthians twelve and weakness. I just think that's a really timely message right now. Well, one of the things, Brian, that I, I want to be mindful of because you said, "Oh, we all know the passage." My guess is there are a lot of people listening that don't know the passage. Would you just sort of give like a a, a quick pastoral summary of what's going on there in Second Corinthians twelve? Yeah, I mean, Paul is, uh, it's that whole thorn in the flesh where uh, Paul is is pleading that that God take away this thorn in the flesh. Uh, mm. Whatever ailment he has, a lot of scholars believe it had to do with his eyes, uh, but something is wrong with Paul. And, but then he comes to this, but, but if he doesn't take it away from me, then uh, this declaration uh, that he'll live by the power of Christ, and that when he is weak, that is when God most powerfully works through him. It's the old, uh, when I'm weak, then I am strong. And so it's this concept of weakness uh, somehow being a um, uh, a doorway to Christ's power in our life, which I don't think it comes naturally for any of us to think about. Yeah, I think that's well said. And it's particularly convicting, too, coming from somebody who is speaking from a place a very real weakness. And I just want to say, George, if you're listening, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and your perspective and your vulnerability. I think we need more and more of that uh, in this time. And I think your words, your challenge, your encouragement is so timely and so necessary. And we're so, so grateful for that. Well, coming up next, we know there's a lot of stress. It can be a lot of bad news. And we want to spend an entire segment like we've been doing for the last few weeks on some good news. That's coming up next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for some Good News! Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. And that specific music means only one thing. It's time for some good news. But first, real quick, before we get into all that, you can find us on Facebook if you want. The Common Good Radio Show. You can send us messages. That's where we post articles. Uh, you can also find us at 1160hope.com slash Good on Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk and wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you wouldn't mind a little subscribe rate review. That all does help us out a whole lot. Plus, before we dive into it, I also like to recommend you check out Thrivent. You can go to Thrivent.com. You can also go to Thrivent.com slash careers if you're thinking about a career change. 
And they're hosting a bunch of webinars in the next week or so, specifically in coping with this pandemic. We've posted all those links on our Facebook page. Highly encourage you to check them out. These are resources that Thrivent wants to make available to you all for free as we navigate these really uncertain times. And uh, that, I think, is a perfect segue to a segment about some good news. I posted a bunch of articles here, Brian. Which one are you going to go with first? I'm going to go with, let's do this one. Hospitals are empowering recovered COVID patients by playing iconic Rocky theme as they are discharged. (laughs) I love it. Awesome. Uh, It says these Massachusetts hospitals are drawing inspiration from the beloved Rocky movies as a means of empowering uh, their patients who are recovered from COVID-19. Whenever a patient has been successfully treated for the novel coronavirus and declared ready to leave the Bay State Medical Center in Springfield, health care workers have begun calling for a code Rocky over the hospital speaker system. All available staffers then gather together in the hospital hallways in order to offer a rousing round of applause to the patient as they are wheeled out. I can't think that that's just awesome. Can you imagine going through that and then leaving the hospital to the Rocky theme? Uh, I love that. (laughs) You just love Rocky, though. I I do. I I do. You're biased a little bit in that. Just a reminder, we're getting these stories from goodnewsnetwork.org. They don't pay us at all. We just think it's a really great website to go ahead and save in your bookmarks. Goodnewsnetwork.org. I head there regularly when the news feels like overwhelmingly bad or sad or frustrating. So just good for the soul. This other one is a few days old, but I thought it was interesting. It says, as coal usage declines, new study finds dramatic decrease in asthma symptoms and hospitalizations. After several years of researching four coal-fired power plants, scientists have found that local residents experience fewer asthma symptoms and related hospitalizations as the plants either retire coal as their energy source or installed stricter emission controls. Not only that, the emergency department visits uh, visits dropped dramatically along with the decrease in coal usage. The research conducted in Louisville, Kentucky, was published in Nature Energy this week by the Columbia University Mailman School of Public Health in collaboration with several other universities and research institutions. Starting with a pilot in 2012, the city of Louisville embarked on a project called Air Louisville, which aimed to use data from Propeller Health's digital inhaler sensors to gain insights into the impact of local air quality on the burden of respiratory disease in the community. The public-private collaboration equipped more than 1,200 Louisville residents with asthma and COPD with propeller sensors, which attach to patients' existing issues, blah, 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 so on and so forth. Either way, uh, it's on the decline, and people are feeling better for it. That's awesome. Have you seen some of those pictures going around of various places um, in around the world where uh, since we've all been driving so much less, where all of a sudden you can see mountains where you couldn't see mountains before or like and segments about that. Yeah. Where now the waterway is completely clear. I just think that's so cool. Yeah. Same. Um, okay. Next one. Principles unique homage spurs travelers to help pay tribute to high school seniors without a graduation. Hmm. A Florida high school principal has gone above and beyond the call of duty to honor her graduating seniors amongst the novel coronavirus shutdowns. Poplar Springs school principal Farisha Farika West has been heartbroken over how her senior students have been forced to spend the remainder of their high school final high school year in self-isolation, all without getting to enjoy such events as a graduation ceremony or senior prom. After brainstorming different ways she could spotlight for students, Wes contacted the school photographer responsible for taking all 30 senior portraits for the 2020 yearbook. 
She then had all of the portraits in large printed out and posted on both sides of the school's road in Graceville. Now the faces of the 30 graduating seniors can be seen smiling at drivers passing by. To West's surprise, the initiative has been more successful than she could ever have dreamed of. She says, people who don't even have students here, uh, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, have driven over just to drive through and see and honor our students. The students have been particularly touched by the gesture as well. Uh, one student said, I pass by my school every day and I, as I go to work. Uh, and every time I look out there, I just get to see the banners and everything else and just see our faces out there on the drive. So it's definitely something that gives you comfort, one of the seniors said. What a cool story of a principal uh, going above and beyond to honor those seniors. I feel like there's been a lot of stories of people going above and beyond and like yeah. having to kind of think on the fly and innovate. And that's been really interesting. All right, we got two more from the Good News Network. Goodnewsnetwork.org is where you can find all these stories or just go to our Facebook page. This is yep. the headline. Customer leaves entire $1,200 stimulus check as generous tip for family-owned restaurant. This is from mm. yesterday. It says, like so many small businesses being forced to adapt to social restrictions amidst the novel coronavirus shutdowns, the Arkansas Steakhouse has been struggling to make ends meet. But thankfully, one of their regular customers gave them a much appreciated financial windfall. Despite the difficulties of remaining open during COVID-19 shutdowns, the Colonial Steakhouse restaurant in Pine Bluff has managed to stay open by maintaining a team of four employees to offer curbside pickup for three days of the week. Last week, one of the restaurant's regular customers decided to leave a hefty tip for their takeout order, and the staffers were stunned by the amount. The customer tipped the Colonial Steakhouse $1,200, which was the customer's entire stimulus check issued by the federal government to relieve the financial burdens of the pandemic. And here's the quote. We just started crying and thanking God because it Mm -hmm. came at a time that most of our staff really needed. That's from the manager, Allison Hall. I love stories like this, and if you're listening and you got a check that maybe you don't actually need, like maybe this is a, a viable option for you. I, I love stories like this. Yeah. Uh, last one. Ikea publishes meatball recipe for devoted fans in quarantine pining after the store's beloved cafes. Glory be. Before reading this, I was not aware that people uh, were that obsessed with Ikea meatballs. So I'm learning something. Do you Are you serious? Yeah, I didn't know. Like, I, I knew. Yeah, no, I'm going to go with no, I didn't know this. Why didn't you hop on Explorer, Brian? And- <laughs> nope, I'm Firefox now. <laughs> uh, in addition to being renowned for their inclusivity, sustainable practices, philanthropy, and sheer genius for innovation, IKEA is also beloved for the Swedish meatballs served in their cafes. So while the furniture chain may be temporarily shuttered, its doors Amidst the novel coronavirus outbreaks, they recently published a homemade meatball recipe for their devoted fans to try in the quarantine. Although it's not the same iconic meatball recipe that's used in their stores, it does employ an intricate cream sauce, which IKEA management says is a worthy alternative to the original. (laughs) They they said, we know that some people might be missing our meatballs, which is why we've released an at-home alternative, which... Using easily accessible ingredients will help those looking for some inspiration in the kitchen, said IKEA country food manager Lorena Lorena Lorido in a statement. They said uh, Lorena uh, Lorido said staying at home can be hard, but we want to help make everyone's lives that little bit easier and more enjoyable. Bon appetit, as we say, or smulking maltide, as we say in Sweden. <laughs> I'm so I'm so glad you went for that. That like made my day. I had no no chance that was right, but I went for it. <laughs> Is there any chance we can end the show with you saying that? 
Smoking Mountain. Smoking Mountain, everyone. Yeah, I'm going to try to remember that. Let's hold on to that for the rest of the hour and see if we can't figure out a way to make that a Also, when you're uh, next allowed to, Brian, you need to get to Ikea and try these meatballs. I have had them once. I will say I've had them. I just didn't know it was oh, okay. a thing. Like, people loved them like that. That's what oh, I Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a thing. Either way, if you hear stories like this, by the way, send them to us. Head on over to the Facebook page. We would love to celebrate stuff both locally and nationally and globally of people just doing good stuff because we think there's enough negativity in the news every once in a while we want to dedicate some time in the show just to celebrate the good stuff well coming up next a uh, segment that we've been doing throughout the entirety of this week there's a series out of judson university called meaning making in the midst of pandemic that's from john perrine and today is a cord of three strands you're not going to want to miss that that's coming up next here on the common good on am 1160 hope your life Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, on Twitter and Instagram, at Common Good Talk, and wherever it is you get fine podcasts, if you wouldn't mind subscribing, rating, and reviewing. All of that does really, really help us out. And I've been mentioning all week, our friends over at Judson University, my alma mater, have a Judson Daily podcast. The mastermind behind all that is none other than Chris Lash, friend of the show, a friend of me personally. And uh, this whole week, they featured John Perrine, who is also brilliant. And he has a series this week called Meaning Making in the Midst of Pandemic. And today's episode is called A Cord of Three Strands. Take a listen. Today, though, I want to turn to an even more practical application of meaning making in the midst of a pandemic. If you're like me, one of the great challenges to meaning making right now is just this seeming mush to my daily life. I kind of lose track of what I'm supposed to be focused on, where I'm going, even who I am. And so as we're struggling with this blending together of time, it's easy to lose focus on where meaning is even meant to come from. So in addition to stories and remembrance, where else can meaning be found? A couple of years back, a TED Talk was released by Robert Waldinger, the director of Harvard's Study of Adult Development. Now, this is a great TED Talk. It's one of the most viewed. I think it has something like 35 million views. And in his presentation, Waldinger shares the findings of a study Harvard has been doing for 75 years. So check this out. Harvard, back in 1938, initiated a study of 724 men. Now, one group of this study was a group of sophomore students at Harvard University, and the other group that was being studied was from the low to poor income neighborhoods across the city of Boston. So this study would track 700 men, about half from Harvard, half from these low-income neighborhoods, And over the course of these men's lives, every two years, someone would go in person to interview each of these men and ask them a series of questions related to their health, their work, their income, their marriages, basically their happiness. So here's what the study wanted to know. What is it that gives meaning to these men's lives? Some of them went on to be quite successful, Some of them climbed the social ladder out of poverty and obscurity. Some of them descended the social ladder. They went from being successful all the way down to impoverished 
divorced, bitter. What was it, the study began to ask as they gathered all this data, that showed signs of meaning, that actually exhibited a purposefulness in these men's lives? Well, surprisingly, or perhaps not surprisingly, the study has revealed one major finding. And it is that these 724 men, over the course of their whole lives, consistently showed the greatest source of meaning for each of these men's was the depth and intensity of a few close friends. Basically, the study had all of these fascinating correlations where they saw that no matter what level of education or income, if you had close friends, even if you had a successful marriage, consistently those men would live longer, would be healthier. They even saw them retain memory, have a lower risk of dementia. And eventually, as the study has continued now to the present day, and as some of these men are still alive, they've consistently seen that it was in fact the presence of one to three close friends that this person said they could call upon or rely on that indicated higher levels of happiness across the board. So if you, over the course of your life, reported divorce, had estrangement from your children, uh, consistently said that the people you spent most of your time with were people from work, not friends outside of work, then consistently these men's level of happiness were reported lower over and over and over again. Now this study is fascinating, and yet I can't help but note that it's simply discovering what scripture has known all along. There's this beautiful passage in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4, verses 9 to 12. It goes like this. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either one of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, you've probably heard that sentiment before, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. You know, what the scriptures are getting at is if you are missing friendship, you will be missing life itself. Yet if you find friendship, if you can discover the cord of three strands, then when the waves of pandemics and meaninglessness wash over you, that strand of three will not quickly be broken. There's one friendship in particular that I've always resonated with in the scriptures, or maybe I should say more accurately that I've always longed to have, and it's one that describes the friendship between Jonathan and David. So this passage comes actually right after David has defeated Goliath. And you almost have to picture Jonathan having been there. He, he saw, he witnessed this incredible act of bravery as David alone steps forward. He heard the incredible act of faith as David proclaims that his God will fight on behalf of Israel. And then he sees just the fearless ferocity with which David attacks the problem and defeats this unimaginably great foe. And in light of 
everything Jonathan has seen, the scriptures give this interesting description of what happens. This is from 1 Samuel 18. As soon as he, David, had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took David that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever he was sent. This was good in the sight of the people. Now here's what I love about this friendship. Jonathan offers himself up sacrificially first. He asks for nothing from David. He, in fact, receives nothing from David. Yet simply because of the depth of his commitment, his love boiling up from within his own soul, Jonathan is going to sacrificially extend even his clothes, his very sword, his bow, his belt, this is the act of covenantal friendship, deep and sacrificial commitment. And here's where this gets practical and maybe even a little close to home. If you're like me, I can't help but look around whenever anyone talks about friendship and say, boy, that sounds nice. I wish someone would become that kind of friend to me. Like, man, would it just be great if there would be a few Jonathans around who saw me, the extraordinary David that I am, and came and offered themselves like that. Yet here is where I want to lean into the scriptures with you today. Ironically, in the midst of this pandemic, the very moment when we're not allowed to see each other, this could be the precise time that a covenantal friendship for you is formed. But if it's going to happen, it's going to require you to be the Jonathan who offers yourself first. Think about the friends you have in your life. Think especially about those close friendships. Maybe even ones who are there in that one to three category of friends that you know you can call on. Now imagine the friendship that you could have with them that could extend across your whole life. A friendship forged in commitment, forged in sacrifice. And yet as I invite you to consider that type of friendship. My challenge to you is this. You have to first become a Jonathan before that covenant can ever be forged. You're going to have to do, be the one who reaches out. You're going to have to be the one who offers yourself in love, out of the depths of your soul. Ironically, this pandemic could become the precise moment when your friendship goes to the next level, if only you'd be willing to take that risk and reach out to that friend. So as we close, I offer this prayer over you. May you become the Jonathan to the many friends in your life. May you discover lifelong friendships that offer the richness of meaning. And may you find that cord of three strands so that any of the suffering and turbulence from this pandemic or from the many trials ahead, you would not be easily broken. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.
Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here, and I remember the first time that I actually learned about Thriving Financial. I was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and me and two other pastors had this dream, this idea to better care for the marriages in our communities. And so we started to dream up this conference idea. What if we actually hosted a local conference to pour into marriages and couples in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and Thriving Financial kind of came alongside and not only like made the conference possible, but they were actually interested in partnering with us as churches, as pastors, to help people not only be wise with money, but to live more generously, which was always a value that I had and always struggled to find organizations that actually wanted to help our churches do that. And so that's actually kind of the beginning of what's been a really beautiful journey and relationship with Thrive and to actually be wise with money, to live generously, and to help other people do the same. And so if that interests you, I'd encourage you to go to Thrivent.com to learn more. Coming up this hour, apparently the earth is getting cleaner as more and more of us stay home. Also, how to regain a sense of place. And we're also joined by pediatric ER doctor Lena Abujamra. That's coming up next here on The Common Good. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with the right Reverend Brian Fromm in the house. Yeah. Wow. I'm glad we rehearsed that 17 (laughs) times before going live. Uh, You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, and I say it every time, but I do mean it. If you want to share articles or suggestions or ideas, that's the best way to get in touch with us. Plus, we have some lively discussions happening on our articles. We had a couple of real zingers today, by the way. So if you want to see what all the commotion is, you can head on over there. You can also find us at 1160hope.com on Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk. And wherever it is, you get podcasts. And uh, some of you might think it doesn't actually help. It really does. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing really helps the show out a whole lot. It helps more and more people discover the show. And uh, if you have already, we thank you so much. If you haven't yet, what do we got to do? What's it going? What's it going to take? Also, you can ask Alexa, and she'll bring you right there. So that's uh, extra, super duper helpful. Brian, today is Earth Day, and I know that even just simply saying Earth Day. Uh, people will have different reactions to that. I don't know if you grew up observing Earth Day at all, or did you guys sort of shun Earth Day as some sort of propaganda, or where, where do you land on that continuum? Uh, neither growing up. I do remember it wasn't something that was really part of our calendar. I do remember, especially as I got older in school, like talking about it and it being part of school. But yeah, I don't feel like it was a big part of our rhythm. How about you? Uh, it was around ish, you know, I have a, a healthy background in hippieisms and whatnot. So like, I feel like my family, my family kind of uniquely fits in the middle of all that. So it certainly was something that we talked about, but we didn't like, you know, call off school or anything for it. But one of the things, and I don't have a lot to share about this, but this headline, uh, out of Christian news says, as people stay home, the earth turns wilder and cleaner as people from across the globe stay home to stop the spread of the new coronavirus. The air has cleaned up, albeit temporarily smog stopped choking New Delhi, one of the most polluted cities in the world. And India is getting views of sites not visible in decades. Nitrogen dioxide pollution in the northeastern United States is down 30 percent. Rome's air pollution levels from mid-March to mid-April were down 49 percent from a year ago. And stars seem more visible at night. There's a whole article from Fox News that kind of unpacks all the details there. I don't. Have you noticed any of that? Like, are you cognizant of any change in environment, like in your own world? Not in my own world, but I mentioned that I think last hour was 
just seeing the pictures on Twitter, I find so amazing. I saw the pictures of the one in India where it was, they held like they split a picture in half of like six months ago versus now. And it's unreal. Yeah. Or like in Florence or Venice with like the waterways and how clear and now animals are coming back. Um, some animals like actually literally returned to New York City that haven't had been there in decades because of right. people. All of it's pretty amazing. And it, and it gives you another glimpse of kind of like, well, our earth is a fascinating place. Mm-hmm. And uh, by us all staying home, just to see the changes that have happened, it, it's been pretty wild. I'd, I'd encourage people to Google it if you haven't seen some of those pictures, because it really is startling. Yeah. And the other thing I'd mentioned earlier, my buddy Bryce was saying how the earth is literally like shaking less. It's vibrating less because of how how much less driving and travel there is, which I would love to. I wish I was smart enough to understand all that because I would take like a deep, it's deep a vibrating. Dive. That's crazy. And, uh, yeah, it's so interesting. All right. So this other article out of Christianity Today says, can staying home help us regain a sense of place? The subheading is how rediscovering creation around us can deepen our connection with God. What, what's going on here? Yeah, it says, and you and I, uh, as an aside, we're just talking off the air. Christianity, t- Christianity Today uh, really been kind of killing it in the last month or so during this whole coronavirus time. Uh, so if you're not already a person who goes to their site, I would encourage you to do so. Yeah. Yeah, uh, a lot of good content. Yeah, the article begins this way. Uh, this year's Earth Day, unlike any other, feels at once expansive and restricted. As hundreds of millions of the Earth's citizens have been ordered to stay home for the greater good of our species, we live in isolated worlds that feel much too small. Perhaps uh, this time of quarantine brings with it the opportunity to rediscover a sense of place and discover God's creation anew. So let me read the next paragraph, too. The term sense of place has long been used by scientists and anthropologists to describe the meaningful relationship that can arise as a result of a deep knowledge of and familiarity with a given place. Hmm. And it applies to urban and rural settings alike. Having a sense of place can contribute towards deeper relationships to care for creation and can motivate communities to join together uh, for this common goal. So uh, they're kind of saying this staying home has helped us regain this kind of sense of place. I don't know. What do you think about this article as it goes on? Yeah, I 100% resonate with this. And they're quoting some really, really big brains in here. But talking about uh, one of the ways that you can identify our culture and era right now is that we just sort of rush from thing to thing to thing. And that's not just like a daily rhythm thing. It's We're finding that more and more with how uh, rarely someone stays put in the same city for four decades. Or, you know what I mean? Like There's a lot about sort of this constant moving that wasn't yeah. the case nearly as much 70 or 80 years ago. And it has created almost this like innate trepidation, right? And I think, well, I'll just read some more because I think the article says it so well. It says, there's something deeply Christian in the naming of things. It was one of God's first commandments to Adam in the Garden of Eden. But in neglecting a sense of place, there's much more at stake than a death of plant knowledge. Identifying a sense of place is part of identifying a calling and naming the connection God asks us to have to the lands in which we dwell. Mm-hmm. So the doctor that they're quoting earlier from Duke said that having a sense of place is crucial to understanding our own purposes as human beings. If you don't think you belong where you are, how do you sense that you still matter? Mm-hmm. In his book, uh, Our Only World, agrarian champion and Christian thinker Wendell Berry, who I've admitted I love, says a deep knowledge of a particular place is crucial to understanding how to steward it well. 
he uses the uh, the foresting industry as an example of what it means to belong to a place. After years spent in a particular forest, a forester comes to know the land so intimately that he can practice his trade without damaging the larger stock of trees. It is the knowledge that tells one in a given situation where to look or what to expect or how much is enough. This education is observational it takes many years. Eventually, this familiarity should lead to gratitude, which, again, I'm feeling really convicted by because yep. there's, there's just a lot about this in our current culture that we, we just don't do well. And I imagine maybe some people are listening and they're thinking like, ah, that just sounds like environmental <laughs> nonsense. I'd encourage you to read Wendell Berry, by the way, because I think he's prolific. But, I, you know, you, you've been where you're at for a while. Do you feel like you've established some of that sense of place in your own life? It is. I do. Uh I, I've actually thought about it in terms of my kids that like they're, someday they're either going to live here or come back and like this be home. Um, Cause it's weird, man. Neither you nor I grew up around here. Right. Uh, I lived the first 18 years of my life in New Jersey and I don't have cl- my, my, my immediate family's not still in Jersey. So I don't go back there very much, but to mm. this day, when I go back, the sights and the smells of ho- like immediately are like, I'm home. Like this is home. And now I've been out here long enough that it kind of functions the same way. And uh, that that sense of place, like I've never really thought of it in these terms, um, but it is so helpful. Uh, they go on to say, for many of us sheltering in place, this time presents an opportunity to slow down and take in our natural surroundings as never before. It gives us a great chance to get to know your own backyard. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not one who's really thought in terms of this, but I, I, this article has really been kind of eye-opening. I enjoy this article. Yeah, I'll just sort of read how it closes, too. It says, perhaps if there is a spring rain on this Earth Day, we will even see a rainbow, the reminder of God's faithfulness, even in times of travail. As long as the Earth endures, God instructed Noah, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter day, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. If we pay close attention, we can see the coming spring as a song of praise, a hymn to God's faithfulness, which, Mm. again, you know, we've mentioned this before on the show. I'm in the basement, right? You're at least looking out a window i'm i'm staring at a wall and and there has been a an elevated appreciation like when i come up even just for a brief moment to have lunch or to see my boys kiss my wife and the weather is decent i like it stops me in my tracks and i just like and like i just step outside for a second barefoot because i feel it like i feel it in my gut and my soul like oh man i'm disconnected locked here in the basement and you don't have to have some kind of, you know, maybe you, maybe you'd say tree hugger proclivities or you don't consider yourself a hippie. Like, man, the earth is the gift that we're to steward well. And there's something this earth day, regardless of what you think about the day itself, that I think is a really good reminder to, uh, to see the earth as a gift that we're to steward well in the world. That's well put. Thanks, man. Well, coming up next, Lena Abujamra. She's been on the show a couple of times. We love her. She's a pediatric ER doctor. She's also uh, an author, a speaker, and a ministry leader. She has a website called livingwithpower.org. She's going to join us for two segments and talk about how she is navigating this entire pandemic and uh, give us some ways forward. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. That's where we post all of our articles. You can send us a message if you have ideas or suggestions. You can also find us at 1160hope.com slash thecommongood, wherever it is you get podcasts. Plus, we're on Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk. 
we vowed to never be on Snapchat, so that probably won't ever change. But <laughs> a lot of a lot of opportunities to get connected with us. And one of the things that we've really appreciated, especially in the last five weeks or so, is just the vast array of other voices and other perspectives. And one of the people that I've been most excited to have on the show, just because I think she has incredible perspective in a number of really, really relevant ways is our friend Lena. Lena is a repeat guest actually on the show, and uh, I want to welcome her again to the show. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Always a joy to be with you. Could you do us a favor and just quickly introduce yourself in whatever manner you see fit? You can be as personal, professional as you want, but just let let our audience know a little bit about who you are. I'd love to. Yeah, uh, I'm a practicing physician. I, I trained in pediatric emergency medicine and practiced in Chicago for about 18 years. Hmm. and transitioned into telemedicine, interestingly, a couple of years ago. I sort of did both jobs for a while and then settled into telemedicine and, and grew, continued working with the nonprofit slash ministry that uh, I founded a few years ago. And so that's called Living with Power. And so I uh, do a lot of speaking, Bible teaching, writing books about faith and God. And I really sort of found myself about a month and a half ago very integrated into the whole coronavirus uh, discussion because a lot well everybody was told not to go and it was sort of this ironic place where people were sick but you couldn't go to your doctor if you had a fever or a cough right. which was sort of the most common thing and you couldn't go to the urgent cares and you didn't want to go to the ER and so people had really nowhere to go and so everybody from insurance companies to to people you know doctors on media and and of course the press briefings that we were watching so closely at the beginning pretty much the push to telemedicine was so huge and uh, found myself sort of learning a lot very fast about the coronavirus and how to communicate it in a very simple way to people who were very scared. And as a result, we started doing some creative things on social media, including those COVID updates, uh, which have been really successful and uh, uh, sort of fun to sort of take what I know medically, but also integrate some spiritual perspective to calm people's anxieties, but also provide education and and not so much misinformation, hopefully, but Mm -hmm. true uh, medical facts. And so it's been good. It's been fun. Yeah, Lena, I was telling you off air that uh, your Facebook posts that you've been putting up, uh, Ian and I talk often about trying to find news sources that we trust. And (laughs) I've been going to you to kind of find out, could you help our audience? Uh, Let's ask just two questions that are probably on people's minds a lot. How are we specifically in Illinois doing right now? Uh, And how are we, uh, when are we, when can we ever expect to open up and life go back to some semblance of normalcy again? Yeah, everybody wants to know that pretty much when you when you leave the house and more and more people are doing, you know, feeling a little bit more comfortable right now. We're out of that scary zone. I think the numbers in, in Illinois have been better than anticipated. I think about three weeks ago, the fear was that we were headed towards what New York looks like. And New York has been sort of the sad, you know, tr- tragedy really in our country right. and New Jersey a close second. And so I think the preparations were as such. The McCormick Center was transitioned into a disaster area. You know, they asked for volunteers. I was signed up to volunteer there. Sort of, you know, as many ER doctors are uh, not wanting to happen, but sort of wanting to, you know, wanting to get into the fray. And so and so I had Mm. some mixed feelings about it once I got over the fear of it, but really has not been a need for that so far, which is a blessing. I think that's the idea. Now, of course, if you hear the governor, and I think he's in the process the next 24 hours of giving some new parameters, I don't foresee um, the lifting of the social isolation in Chicago, the shelter in place until at least the end of May. That's my prediction, hmm. uh, partly because our numbers are still rising. And, and honestly, partly because I sense that that's the stance that our state will take for a number of reasons. The question really is, are we going to, in Illinois, be back to, to a little bit more normalcy by June or is it going to be by July? And I think hmm. 
uh, you know, most doctors are sort of mentally been prepared to, to the long haul, July, even into August. But uh, I'm, you know, as, as a woman of faith and as a, a realist who's looking at the numbers and sort of seeing that, you know, we have been successful in flattening the curve better than we all thought it would be. And I think God's grace, there's many factors, including God's grace that have allowed us to be where we are. I'm hoping that at the, you know, very latest by early June, we'll be able to integrate again, no new, no, no normal like we used to have. I think everybody's right. sort of aware of that now, but some more openings of businesses and, and a way of life that is more um, enjoyable maybe than it is now. I mean, you might love being home all the time, but I think for <laughs> most people, the practical nature of life right now is that we're, um, we need to get back into the, the into normal, in a semi-normal, new normal, whatever you call it, life. So, so one of the things that I find so fascinating about your perspective is that you have like one foot in medicine and the other foot in ministry, and there's just not a lot of people that I think hold those two things in tension within themselves. Like we, you know, we try to do mm-hmm. as good a job as we can on the show in getting voices across the spectrum, but you kind of embody maybe the two most intense conversations happening culturally right now, both of faith and of medicine. What is it? What is that like to be in your head right now as you're like thinking about, you know, things from a medical perspective, but you also have a ministry that you lead and you're pastoring people really well via social media and other means. What's, what's this been like for you in the last four or five weeks? But, yeah. I still chuckle. Cause you're right. I know a lot and I'm in it. And, and I still chuckle when I find myself looking to like when this question every day, where are we at? in the whole process, you know, right. sort of trying to decipher, you know, a, a, not just a medical update, you know, sort of filling out my friends who are in the ER and ICUs and, and, and sort of the medical side of it, keeping up with all of the conversations happening, you know, behind the scenes with medical people and forums, but then also like trying to navigate politically, like where, where are things at? And, and right. I, just, I think in some ways, everybody's just as confused. The difference is I think I can sort of delineate quickly sort of the complete nonsense. My nephew sent me a tweet today of, of a political person who sort of made a statement about how things were at in the United States. And so what do you think? Are we going back? Yeah, are we having a football camp this summer? And I just started laughing. <laughs> I was like, well, you know, I, I don't know if I'd take that too seriously. But so I find myself every, every day still sort of trying to navigate the same sort of thing that many Americans are doing right now. Where are we at and where are we going? And I think that probably the blessing of having one foot in each door is that um, you can cut through the chase quicker and hmm. and reach conclusions faster. So part of, again, what I've tried to communicate and the blessing of being on shows like this or doing the little snippets that I've done on Facebook with a lot of Q&As I've done live Facebooks and things like that that have really been successful is that I think because of my position that God has granted at this point, I'm able to see more clearly hmm. what is just rubbish and what is um, true fact. Yeah, so that's a blessing, and it's also uh, also interesting too to to sort of feel the spiritual dynamic in it all, and be able to weigh in on uh, people's fears, which I think is sort of a, a big background story. I mean, right. some fear is real, but there's been an, a huge amount of anxiety and panic in mm. people um, that has to be uh, that that needs the peace of God and the hope of God. And I think when you're sitting in a place where you're used to crisis, like the medical world, I think you're able to sort of think clearly and see clearly because you've been trained for so so long to do it. So some of it is just a gift of all of the years of training that God has allowed in my life. That's, That's awesome. I'm just curious. Uh, we were talking in one of our earlier segments about this new push that a lot of states are trying to reopen. And then people are saying it's too early and what's it going to do when you see states reopening already? Um, does that give you fear? Does that get, what does that do for someone like you who has a good handle right. on what's going on? 
you know, I, mean, I was joking with my mom today. My mom said, I'm going to go to Georgia and get my nails done. I said, <laughs> you know, everybody's sort of laughing about that. But, yeah. but the truth of the matter um, is that at some point, states are going to integrate some sort of normal and people are going to question that first step. Like, yeah. you know, you're going to see that. Um, it, there's never going to be a perfect time to integrate. My doctor friends think it's too early and, and everybody else in the world thinks, okay, let's see what happens now. It's a hard experiment because if it fails, it's going to be at the cost of lives. Um, I, it, you know, I think coronavirus in many ways is here to stay. I've become more and more of that thought process at this point. And so uh, we will have some reprieve when there will be a vaccine or herd immunity. Hmm. And I've talked about that in, in, in some of the updates that are found on in the various you know, social media connections and my website. And I think in, you know, the herd immunity concept, which is just enough people will get sick so that we're no longer as, as, as affected by it, is sort of kind of unrealistic and dangerous. And so the plan B is we need a vaccine, but that might be a year or two away. So what do you do in the meantime? Right. So some level of reintegration is going to be needed. So now, May, June, I mean, there's always going to be people who think it's too early. Right. I think I've seen, and I don't know for a fact, that Georgia is opening movie theaters. Mm. If that is, in fact, the truth, I think that's irresponsible. Mm. But mm. in terms of businesses opening up again and, you know, places where people are not huge amounts of people, but sort of there has to be sort of a limit of how many people's, people can be in a certain place at a certain time. I think the strategy of every state now has to be, all right, as we think about opening, how do we do it safely? That hmm. has to be the conversation. Yeah. Now, when you do it in the next two weeks now, in a month, I think that, that again, I, I respect that that this is a governmental decision that happens at the state level. And I think um, in the context of that, I think this is where we can pray as Christians and just ask the Lord for wisdom for our leaders. These are the kind of decisions that I think will be critical. That's phenomenal. That voice you're hearing is Lena Abujamra, who is both a pediatric ER doctor. She's a ministry leader, a pastor and an author. And she is very gracious enough to stick around with us for one more segment. We're going to talk all things ministry and coronavirus and how do we navigate kind of these tumultuous waters. And that is coming up next right here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on the Facebooks, as no one says. That's uh, The Common Good Radio Show. That's where all of our articles are posted. You can weigh in. There's a lot of lively discussion over there. You can send us a message. You can find our podcast wherever you get podcasts. And any subscription or rating or reviewing, that all does really help us out a whole lot. We're also at 1160hope.com and on Twitter and Instagram, at Common Good Talk. And we are thrilled to have for a second segment, Lena Abujamra, who is both a pediatric ER doctor. She's a pastor, ministry leader, an author. She has a ministry, a website called livingwithpower.org. And there she posts all sorts of wonderful content. I just saw today, a little bit ago, actually, that you were featured on the Spotlight blog from Priscilla Shire. Is that right? Yeah, they were gracious enough to include me in that, you know, I've always admired and looked up to her in many ways. And so it's, it's sort of fun to see people's responses. I don't think it's that big a deal. You know, like you're touched and stuff, but people on Facebook are going crazy. I'm like, well, I guess she's a big movie star. So <laughs> I thought of her more as a preacher lady, you know, which is why I've looked up to her, but it's pretty cool. Well, it, it couldn't happen to a more deserving person, Lena. We, we love you on the show and we've been so grateful for your wisdom and your insight. And like you were saying in the first segment there, you just have, I think, a wonderful capacity to kind of cut through the noise in a way that's like helpful, but also really gospel centered. And I just think that's a really, really important thing, particularly in this time of uncertainty. And you were kind of talking about this during the break a little bit. The question that 
Brian and I get a lot, you know, as pastors is, well, when can we quote, go back to church or, or even what yeah. that's going to look like, like as we, you know, as maybe they allow 50 people or a hundred people as that slow rollout kind of uh, descends. What, what are some of your predictions there as it pertains to right. like houses of worship? I think this has been the most riveting and hard question to answer because, um, you know, there's been a lot of debate about, you know, should churches be, you know, should they have continued to meet? And is this infringement of people's freedoms? It's sort of this whole discussion on, you know, what is to love your neighbor well? And and there's no question in my mind that it was the right thing uh, to hold off on churches. My question really, and as I think about it, I cannot see a world where mega churches are open with thousands of people gathering to worship. There's just no way until a vaccine is wow. available. Wow. So, so, so that's one side of it. So there's a sense where God is sort of promoting smaller churches and smaller <laughs> gatherings. I wonder if it'll move into small clusters of people sort of gathering in home churches, still watching church together, but in that setting. Because what do you do? Like you say, okay, we're going to have church with 50 people. And what first come, first serve? You take a number. It just doesn't make that much sense in terms of right. moving back into a worship hall setting. Um, I've been amazed at how churches have transitioned into online ways, whether it's, you know, even my mom's tiny church in Green Bay, Wisconsin is like, has these amazing videos. Like, I felt like I was in church. I watched it last week with her. I had to check up on her. And and actually that brings up a question about visiting the elderly. I did a, a COVID hmm. update on that, but sort of this, this, this ability to be able to reach into the people of your congregation and serve them well. Yeah. And so I, I, I think that's going to continue. I think the online church services for the next year, foreseeable year or so, I think will still be part of what church looks like. Uh, I miss community in person. I think most Americans are honest enough to say there's been a lot of positives out of what we've been doing in terms of even building relationships in the church context. But I think we all yearn to be back together. So I wonder if that won't look like clusters of people in homes watching Mm. church together in a setting that is safe and still Mm. uh, human. Mm, That's fascinating. Uh, I'm wondering culturally, I know it's still early to guess this, but we're going to ask you anyway. How do you think... Uh, this whole coronavirus pandemic is going to change the American culture, if at all? Or do you think eventually we're going to go back and kind of just be who we've always been? No, I'm sure it's not. I mean, we're not going back to what it was. This is exactly like people have predicted 9-11 has changed us in ways that we don't think about anymore. I mean, someone who was born post 9-11 and lived their life, you know, now are teenagers or whatever, have no clue how you used to go to the gate at the airport. I would yeah, right, call right. my dad would hug me at the gate. Right. I mean, it, it will change. And, and so how that will change us is, is really now the most fascinating discussion, in my opinion, like the medical side of it. I think people sort of process, they, they understand, you know, sort of the basic measures of safety. They're waiting for the vaccine and we're looking for cues on how to live. But how are we going to be changing down the road? I don't have a question that not just in the United States, but globally, I think the way we do business, I think there has been advantages to to seeing how life happens remotely. I think business models that have been forcing people to go in have probably become more efficient in, in, in working remotely. And so ideas that may have been, you know, Seth Godin speaks into that. And I think he's smart from a business perspective, like things that we should have been doing before, but people were too afraid to do. I think Hmm. if we can keep those things um, at the forefront of what, um, stays and still are able to not lose our humanness. I think the biggest fear that most people have is what happens with touching one another, hugging one another, and will we become sort of these creatures that sort of stay away from one another? Because yeah. and I pray that that will be a part that we will be able to overcome and 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 still again. I, I would go back to that sentence to maintain humanness that we would continue to be um, people who have hearts and souls and feed into that and are not afraid of one another. Hmm. 
That's really good. I, I mentioned earlier, you have a website called livingwithpower.org. I highly encourage you to check it out. You're also posting regular video updates on your Facebook page. And because we can't have you on the show all day, every day, I'm, I'm wondering <laughs> who are who are the people, uh, the ministry leaders, the thought leaders that you're listening to? Like you were mentioning earlier, mm. there's a whole mess of noise and people, myself included, it's hard to weed out the garbage sometimes. Like who are the voices or websites or resources that you're consistently going back to that you would encourage people listening to make a regular part of maybe their consumption? You know, I try to be fair and look at both. So when it comes to news, I alternate between the big ones. You know, that I don't stick to one news yeah. model. So I'll do my rounds of uh, uh, Fox, CNN, you know, sort of the local news. The local news is great to know what's happening in your area, your, governor, yeah. your government, that sort of thing. When it comes to medical stuff, I'm looking at, at more, you know, the academies of emergency medicine and those sorts of groups that I think won't be open necessarily to the common public. And when it comes to, again, the church, Twitter is, I think, the, still the best array of mm. general information that one can gather about what's happening. And so I try to be very open in, in following both people who tend to be uh, very liberal versus very conservative. So I, I, I think mm. the danger with Twitter is that you can become very in tune to one side of the story. And I right. think if you can take an effort of, okay, go into the major evangelical, you know, sort of hyper-conservative, even, you know, the, the sort of the Billy Graham, Franklin Graham sort of critiqued in the you know news to the very other side of it, which is going to include, you know, a whole number of, of, of Christians that you might not even, that I might not even on a normal basis agree with theologically, but I think bring a perspective um, that I think is very rich. And I think somewhere in the middle, um, pray that God will rise up those um, those voices that are very fair. And I, I mean, just to, and I hate to name one particular group, but I find in general, by and large, stuff that comes out of the Gospel Coalition is very solid. I love Joe Carter, who mm. um, has written about a lot of different things. He's an author at the Gospel Coalition and, and sort of has a, a great amount of articles that he's contributed towards that I find always is very intelligent and very fair. And so I try, you know, Russell Moore, I know he sort of has fans and, and non-fans within his own, <laughs> you know, Southern Baptist party, but I think he brings a very good voice. Ed Stetzer is a wonderful voice. Of course, you guys are probably very familiar with him. He's in the Chicago mm -hmm. area, uh, speaks a lot. Ed is a great voice on the future, sort of predicting models of church future and Christian future. And so those are the type of voices that I tend to, to pay attention to. That's great. Lena, with like the last two minutes or so we have left, uh, Wondering that person out there, you you can speak to it from many different angles. That person out there who's just anxious and fearful uh, about what's coming or where's God in all of this, could you uh, just take a couple minutes to speak hope to that person who's struggling out there? Yeah, in fact, we that's been a focus of the work that we, I've done in the last week. We've just released a four episode, fifteen minutes each series called "Fearless Over COVID." I would mm. highly encourage you to get that. You can get it at uh, livingwithfire.org. Um, slash fearless, uh, all of the stuff that we have, you can get for free. These are just, just free resources. Um, here, here's what I believe still, and I've ended every social media segment that I've done with this. God is still in control. I believe that with all of my heart and soul, God is not surprised by COVID. He's not surprised by the curveballs that we've been given professionally, spiritually, in every way, church, all of it. He, he knows. He, In fact, he allowed us to get to this place and it's not the end of our story. It's the beginning of our story. So if you're that person and you're afraid, first of all, there are people to help you through it. There are answers to your questions. And so reach out, reach out to me. I answer almost every email that I get within a, you know, a time period that is reasonable to at least get the facts. I find a lot mm. of people have no, 
have less fear once they get the facts about their fears. Like, and so once that's overcome, then to speak into somebody spiritually and pray over them, I think you can get so much strength in that. So um, my prayer to you is that you would remember that number one, God is still in control. And number mm -hmm. two, that his word still stands. Find refuge in his word. You know, you asked me a question, you know, I'll end with that. Um, or Brian, I, I can't remember who asked, but, but about <laughs> where, um, what voices are we listening to? And the danger yeah. is that we get so inundated with the, voices around us that we miss the voice above us the voice mm. of christ through his word and if we would just make intentional space in our heart for his word lamentations 3 would be a great chapter to park in if you're struggling with fear today and just remember that god's mercy never ceases his faithfulness mm. new every day to you right now that's lena abujama she's a pediatric er doctor author ministry leader she has a website called livingwithpower.org i can't encourage you not to check it out lena thank you again as always for blessing our show with your wisdom and insight. We love having you on. I love being with you guys. I pray for you too. May God continue to grow your work. Likewise. Thank you, Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. It's Ian Simpkins here. And after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of peaked with regards to what kind of organization this was. And it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to, to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Well, hi, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. That music strikes fear in the hearts of some, delight in the hearts of others, confusion in still others. Uh, we might be joined among you in the confused camp. This is uh, Interweb Insanity, stories that we have not read, sound effects we have not heard. But first, two things I want to take care of. Uh, the first is Facebook. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. That's where you can interact with us. Send us suggestions for articles or stories or angles or interviews. We would love for this show to serve you well. Plus, we're all over the interwebs. You can find us. And if you're listening via podcast, uh, thank you, first off. Mm -hmm. Secondly, if you wouldn't mind subscribing, rating, and reviewing, it takes just a minute, maybe even less. Just give us like a thumbs up. That would help us out a whole lot. And I also want to mention one other cool thing that the station is doing, and Brian's going to tell you more about that. Yeah, during the coronavirus pandemic, we, we're aware that many businesses have had to close their doors or reduce their hours. And we know that there are still many businesses out there that are open and serving the public as best they can. So if you own or run a business that's open and operating, we want to help you get the word out. So right now, go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. It's all one word, 1160hope.com slash open for business. Fill out the brief form and we'll be compiling all of that information and sharing it with our listeners. Totally free. No catch. Go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. Mm, it gets better and better every time, Brian. Well done. I also, I, I your affirmation of it gets better and better, even if it's, whether it's genuine or not, I, I do appreciate it. One of these times you're going to finish that read and it's going to be a long pause and you'll just hear me 
quietly sobbing into the microphone because <laughs> it moved me so much. That's that's where this is headed. That's the goal. Uh, I know you just read, but why don't you take this first one? I will. We're out of Russia. Russian runner jogged 62 miles worth of laps around his bed. No. A Russian runner who spent nine months training for a now canceled race tested his endurance in his home by running laps around his bed for a total distance of 62 miles. I'm oh. going to go for this. I'm going for this name. Uh, Dmitry uh, Yakakunyai. <laughs> Nailed it. Not even close. Of the Primorye region. Said he had been training for nine months to complete compete in a 155-mile race through the desert of Morocco, but the event was postponed due to the coronavirus. He said he decided to keep his skills sharp while in COVID-19 lockdown, and he ran laps around his bed for a total of 62 miles. He said the run took 10 hours and 19 minutes. I don't know if you heard me counting. I did over 1,000. <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing that's like most painful for me about running like on a treadmill is just how monotonous it is. This would be the epitome of monotonous. There's just no way. for 10 hours. All right. North Carolina woman opens fire on cell tower workers hundreds of feet in the air. Sheriff says, yikes, North Carolina. Come on. Cell tower workers, the brave souls who climb hundreds of feet into the air to make sure your cell phone works. Have you seen those videos, by the way, Brian? Oh, yes. Oh, they're terrifying. They have a terrifying enough job, the article says, but police said an Alexander County woman made it even scarier by shooting at them this weekend. Susan Moose, her last name is Moose, anyway, has been charged with assault with a deadly weapon after a court document stated that she fired a twenty-two revolver at a cell phone tower worker. Channel 9 got a hold of the 911 call uh, made from the tower where a three-person crew was doing work south of Taylorsville. I've got a lady across the street that's been yelling and raising hell since we've been here. That were on her property, and now there's shots that have been fired. The call told the dispatcher, "I've got two guys on the tower." I've never been so afraid for my life, dude. <laughs> she tried to kill me. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's uh, not funny. It's terrifying. That is terrifying. Uh, California large group busted for meat market theft after leaving trail of meat behind. Yikes! Uh, a large group of adults and minors were less arrested after allegedly stealing from the meat market in Visalia, California. Around 4.30 a.m. Tuesday, police officers responded to a burglary at the Jalisco meat market. When officers arrived, they detained one adult and a boy under the age of 18 leaving the business. Officers followed a trail of meat to a nearby apartment where they found more people that were involved. Uh, Detectives executed a search warrant at the home and found six adults and five minors connected to the burglary overall 13 people were arrested. Uh, they found some of the stolen meat being cooked during a small gathering. You are so dumb. You are really dumb. For real. <laughs> timeless. It's timeless. All right, we got two more to do in a very short window of time. Out of Wisconsin. Must see. Cow rescued after taking unexpected dip in swimming pool. This photo is amazing. Maybe she just wanted to break from the summer heat. Firefighters in Ettrick, Wisconsin, came to the rescue Tuesday when a cow unexpectedly took a dip in a swimming pool off of Whalen Road. In a Facebook post, the news station shared a photo of the black and white cow standing in the water as firefighters look on. A mool? No, that's utterly ridiculous. It's a pool, <laughs> it's a pool with a cow in it. Yep. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. <laughs> Last one's out of Ohio. Ohio Brewery planning world's largest virtual toast. An Ohio brewery is inviting beverage fans of all ages to participate in a record attempt at the world's largest 
host. The Jolly Scholar in Cleveland said people can participate from their own homes at 7 p.m. on May the 1st. Uh, the, the brewery is planning to go live with the video starring Les the Beer Guy Flake, a popular <laughs> beer vendor at Cleveland Indian Games. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. <laughs> well done. Ah, that's pretty funny. Uh, yep. You know, no matter how highbrow the show ever is, we always manage to bring it back down into the gutter yep. to end the show. Like that feels like a real skill on our end. Brian, do you remember from earlier in the show how you were going to end the show? Oh, it's that Swedish phrase, but I can't remember it. Do you have it? Try it. Try it. Try it from memory. Sacklid magic. That's Smacklig Maltid, but I'll give it to you. A for effort, Brian Fromm. Thanks Thank for you trying. very much. <laughs> we hope you had half as much fun as we apparently did. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Ian Simpkins. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope you like it.